My name's Rachel Amaday, and today I have uh, the pleasure of bringing you information that is uh, so important, actually, for this time of year. We are going to be talking a little bit about the upcoming fall feast days of the Lord, and I have so much information on these that I want to share, but I'm going to try to keep it brief for you because I want you to get through some of this. I want you to really um, have the ability to go do some of this research on your own to understand what I'm talking about. We're going to get through quite a bit of scripture today, but guys, there's so much more on the upcoming feasts and in particular. So I'm going to focus next week on the final two, Yom Kippur and um, the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. This week, I wanted to focus on the upcoming feast that we are celebrating or festival that we are celebrating this Friday evening through Saturday evening, and it is the um, Feast of Trumpets, the Festival of Trumpets, okay? Um, now, we call all seven of God's uh, set-apart days, we call them feasts, but they're not all actually feasts, okay? There are three where you're bringing an offering to the Lord, and there's food involved, and then there's these others where that's not necessarily the case, Um so I do want to just tell you, I'm going to be calling this the Mo, a Moed or a Moedim, which is the Hebrew word meaning appointed times. And we're going to go to where you can find this particular appointed time listed in scripture for us to celebrate. Uh, a reminder for those of you who might be new to my podcast, the Bible tells us that God's Moedim are to be celebrated for all time and in all locations. So if you have been grafted into Israel, this is for you. If you are in covenant with the Lord, this is for you. And when we talk about celebrating them, so a lot of times there's some misunderstanding. Sometimes people think, oh, we need to do the that feast day or that Moedim exactly how it was done in scripture. A great example of this is Passover. Okay, you're not actually called to do that exactly as it was done in Exodus all right. The Bible actually doesn't say to redo what happened in Exodus. If that was the case, you would see people putting blood on their doorposts every year and slaughtering a lamb in their backyards. Some people do this stuff. Actually, the Bible says you're not to do that. That is not how you are to observe these days in all your locations and through all your generations. What we're really supposed to do is memorialize these days. We're supposed to keep them in our memory and we're supposed to observe them and remember what happened on these days throughout history and observe them how we're supposed to observe them in all of our locations and all of our generations. And it's going to look different than some of the other days we see in scripture where these things were celebrated or observed. So please, when you go to Leviticus 23, when you go to Exodus and read about the Moedim of the Lord, just know that multiple sections of scripture describe the fact that you are not going to be reenacting. This is not a reenactment. <laughs> this is a memorialization. Um, now, we do memorialize God's Moedim and his Sabbath day by uh, resting on the appropriate days when given in scripture, by treating them as Sabbath days when, they, when we are asked to. This particular 
the Feast of Trumpets, the Festival of Trumpets, is it's called Yom Teruah. This is a Sabbath. Now, interestingly, this year, where most people, when most of the world, the Jews and most Messianics are observing it this Friday night to Saturday night. That's already a Sabbath day. So this is a special, special Sabbath. This is um, an extra feast day on a Sabbath day. Okay. So it's already on a day that you should be preparing to rest and preparing to not work. And so um, this is that much simpler for us this year to make sure that we are observing and memorializing this day properly. Okay, this is an appointed time of the Lord. Now, for those of you who are like, I don't need to do this. This isn't something that's for me, but you call yourself a Christian. I want you to read uh, Leviticus 23, where these things are listed. You will see the language I'm discussing where God says, these are to be celebrated through all your generations in all your locations. You're going to see that language. You're going to understand God actually tried to make it incredibly clear and explicit that you are supposed to observe these days and you're supposed to understand them. And I'm going to show you why. So hang with me. I'm going to show you how important these things are to God's timeline and teaching us about different historical events that happen in scripture, as well as future events that will be taking place. God wants you to understand these things because it opens up, it unlocks, it reveals something about God's character and his plan. And that's actually in the in the terminology used for the Moedim. There is an underlying implication of revelation that these things, these days reveal to you information that God wants you to have. And it's exciting because every year that I observe these days, God reveals more information to me about these days through scripture. And I'm going to get to share some of that today. One more reason you should hang with me, and I want to show you this. If you open your Bible to Daniel 7.25, it says this, and it is speaking of the false Messiah. So the he in this verse is the false Messiah. It's the Antichrist, okay? Daniel 7.25 says this, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given unto his hand until the time and times and the dividing of time. Okay. The, the word times, change times and laws, is the Hebrew word moedim. Okay. That the false Messiah will try to change God's Moedim, try to change in your mind, in you, the believer. He's going to convince you that the Moedim are not for you and that they've changed. Now there's something called Christmas and Easter, that God's holy days have changed to Sunday instead of the seventh day of the week. He's going to convince you of this, and he wants to convince you of this because on these random other days, there is no extra revelation of God's timeline or his character. And so he wants to keep you dumb and in the dark. That is the one of the goals, I think, of the adversary is to make sure that the people of God are weak and ineffectual and that they do not understand what is happening. And so they have no impact. And my hope, my job, what I feel called to is to be a watchman on the wall, to help people understand the word of God better as I attempt to learn it better, and to give people more tools to go to scripture and understand what's saying so that you may be prepared and you may prepare your families and your children for the second coming of our our, our God, of Yeshua. So um, 
Don't let the enemy keep you in the dark. At least take a listen to what I have to say today. Go do your own research and be interested in it. This is your heavenly father. This book, this Bible is what he wrote to you to understand him. And he loves to educate his children. The Bible says, right, people people fall away. People are eaten alive by a lack of knowledge, right? By a lack of information, God's people perish. And this has happened time and again. And then, you know, the Holy Spirit calls people to reinvestigate or to find the Torah again, find the laws of God. This happened with King Josiah. This happened in Nehemiah, right? Where they rediscovered God's truths and it was a blessing to them and it opened their eyes. And so we are having our eyes opened. We are rediscovering God's truths. This is a blessing for you, I promise. Okay. Now we are at Yom Teruah. The Jews call this time of year Rosh Hashanah. Now this is another turn of the year or beginning of the year. The Jews have two beginnings of the years, one that is biblical, um, like the religious beginning, one that they call the secular beginning. Um, both come up in scripture as Moedim, but they, they've re-termed this Rosh Hashanah. Um, now the in the Bible, it says that the beginning of the year is the month of Passover. It's that month is the beginning of the year. And then you have a second turn of the year at this time of year. Interestingly, both are the beginnings of the two separate sets of Moedim. There's the spring Moedim, which starts with Passover, and they're the spring feast days. And then there's the fall Moedim, which starts with Yom Teruah, and these are the fall feast days. But the reason the Jews celebrate something called Rosh Hashanah and do what they do is there was plenty of Babylonian influence that changed this Yom Teruah, this Feast of Trumpets, to something called Rosh Hashanah. And they observe it, uh, you know, um, <sighs> they observe some of this the same and some of this differently this time of year than the Bible really describes. And so just know that on both sides, whether you're Christian or whether you're Jew, um, both Christians and Jews may be missing aspects of what the Bible actually tells us to do and tells us to understand about this time of year. Okay, the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Teruah. We're going to go to Leviticus 23. And we're going to find this particular feast here. It says this, the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the first day of the seventh month, you were to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present a food offering to the Lord, end quote. Now, the Hebrew calendar is different than ours. They have different months with different number of days in those months than ours. So this feast is supposed to be in the month of Tishri, the first day of that month. And that happens to be this upcoming evening of September 15th through the evening of September 16th. Okay. Well, <laughs> Depending. All right. There's been a lot. There's a lot of debates about the calendar. I don't get into those. I'm not an expert enough to even delineate to you all the debates about the calendar. I know that the seventh day Sabbath is probably actually the correct Sabbath day and really hasn't changed. But as to some of these other days and how they are kept, there is lots of debate. And you will go and you will find those debates if you do any research in the Messianic communities. I would advise you just do your best. Okay. Don't get super worried about this or caught up in the stress of it. Um, I have found that God is so gracious with us because he knows how little we know. And so do your very best and let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you regarding that stuff. 
All right. Numbers 29, one through five. By the way, I think God is trying to reveal to us his truth and his true days and how to keep these things. Um, But right now the argument out there is very complex. And so, especially if you're new to this stuff, don't, don't worry about that. Let's just learn about what this day means and do our best observing it. All right. Numbers 29, one through five says this, now in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall also have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. It will be to you a day for blowing trumpets. You shall offer a burnt offering as a soothing aroma to the Lord, one bull, one ram, and seven male lambs, one year old without defect. Also their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Now, this is uh, because it's the first of the month. It's also a particular time of bringing these offerings. And every turn of the month, there were offerings made. Um, And so this is a time of year to be grateful for what God has given you and to perhaps consider in the next um, month an extra gift to where God leads you. I I always love to just encourage that as your memorialization of, you know, bringing something to the Lord this time of year, bringing a gift to him, being giving this time of year as we go through the next next three of the feast days, the fall feast days. Now, the story of Joshua and Jericho, when you hear about the Feast of Trumpets, this story should come to mind. It was a day of blowing trumpets and victory for the people of God. And this day was probably indeed the Feast of Trumpets, the Yom Teruah. Now, I want to read this story to you because there's some really deep content that comes out of this that I think kind of aligns with some other things that we see in Matthew, um, other descriptions of the end times that we see in Revelation. And so let's read this. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, by the way, we're in Joshua 6. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and his fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times, with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Now I'm going to point out a couple things to you. We have the number seven happening here. It's on the seventh day that they're going to finally march around the city and blow the trumpets. They're going to make a sound on the seventh day day. They're quiet for six days, but on the seventh day is when the sound happens and the seven priests blow the trumpet. So you have seven sevens happening here. Okay. You have seven priests with, uh, the ram's horns. You have the seventh day. Okay. I tend to think of, um, the feast of weeks, uh, which is a spring feast. It's what leads up to, uh, what we call the day of Pentecost, the receiving of the Holy spirit, the fourth of the feast days. And it is the center of these feast days. There's three to the left of it, right? Or three to one side of it and three to the other side. It's like the middle of the menorah. If you think of a seven candle menorah, it's the seven sevens. It's the point of all that God is doing when you receive Receive the Holy Spirit. That is unity with the God, right? It's a reintroduction for you to understand who you were destined to be before the fall, the person you're supposed to be in Yeshua. You were supposed to have his words written on you. You were supposed to be unified with him. And the Spirit of God is supposed to give you that power over death and sin, the ability to live righteously in his name. This is the point of all the work that God is doing. And so when you see seven and seven, I 
always think about this is there's like something there's something deeper being taught here about how important it is that God um, through his people regains right restores right and so he is using you to restore the earth and and to bring light and life to people and he will return someday and restore all things and be finally physically unified to his people and um so i i see that referenced here in this beginning of the story of jericho Let's keep going. Verse six. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the covenant of the Lord, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. Ooh. What's coming here? So we have the trumpets being blown. We have the laws of God, his spirit and his power coming behind the trumpets. Okay. Verse nine, the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. Okay, the people are quiet. These are just the trumpets and the marching, right? This happened for six days. Now, verse 15, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. We've got sevens, so many sevens, guys. Seven is so meaningful. When the adversary comes and tells you the first day of the week is God's holy day, and you go to scripture and all you see, God referenced time, and time, and time, and time again is seven, seven, seven. When when God himself rested on the seventh day, when he said, this is what I am setting as an example, is my seventh day is the day of rest. If I did it and I've made you in my image, you were to do it. Okay. This is what the Bible is telling you. Please understand the difference between what historical figures like Constantine came and did and said, and what the Bible says. Okay. Let's continue. Verse 16. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble upon it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in. 
And they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men, women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and her mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Okay, then they burned the whole city and everything in it. So they totally destroyed the city, okay? They brought the treasure into the Lord's house, and Rahab and her family are spared for helping them. In verse 26, at that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. Okay, there is so much in this story, guys. I'm only going to get uh, a cup to a couple of these things. Just a reminder to you, there are seven feast days of the Lord. There are seven days in the week, the seventh day being the Sabbath day. I just, I'm, I'm reiterating, seven is meaningful, okay? All right. Um, so in Matthew 25, uh, if you want to go read, especially the end of it, when Yeshua returns, there is this judgment that happens of the nations. And there are two sets. There's sheep and goats. And then there's uh, the least of these who are called his brothers and sisters. Okay. In that story. Now the sheep, um, the, Yeshua says to them, he says, uh, you know, come be with me for you saw me, you clothed me, you helped me. And they're like, when did we do that? right? We don't recall ever helping you out. And he says, every, any time you helped the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were helping me. And so he welcomes them in. And then the goats get destroyed, the ones that did not help. Okay. So um, what I think is interesting about this story is you have Rahab who helps out the people of God. Okay. And because of that, she is spared She's spared in the great judgment. So when we get into later what the Feast of Trumpets is looking forward to, Yeshua's return, you're going to understand that after that return, there's a judgment, there's a moment where the nations are judged and those who helped God's people are saved and they get to live, right? They get to be part of what God is setting up in the kingdom. And those, you know, who didn't are judged and they're they're cast out, right? They're they have a different location that they end up um end up living in or being in. I don't know exactly how all that works out. Really, I think a lot of claims are made about that particular first judgment that I'm unsure about. But I do believe there is a first judgment when Christ returns. It's the sheep and the goats. It's called the Bema Seat Judgment. And so I think here, when you have Yom Teruah being the day that Yeshua returns, and then you have that this judgment, and here in this story, you have a Yom Teruah day where the trumpets are blown and God uh, destroys destroys the wicked, and yet he rescues Rahab, the one who helped the his brothers and sisters, the one who helped those of the Lord. I think that's interesting. I think it's also interesting Joshua sends in the two men who had spied out the land, too. Two, I mean, I always think of the two houses, the house of Judah and the house of Israel, those of God. They are sent in and they bring her out in accordance with the oath to her. So they're the testimony. They're the ones that saw that she was, she helped them, 
right? She helped the houses of the Lord. She helped God's people. This is so interesting, isn't it? You have, in my opinion, a little, a little mini play of this thing that Jesus describes that's going to happen in Matthew 25. Really interesting. Now let's go to some other spots in scripture where we see um, this day, this feast of trumpets um, discussed in Ezra 8, 2 through 6. It says this, Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. So there it is on the feast of trumpets. He read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday. In the presence of men and women, those who could understand and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Madahiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maaseah on his right hand. And Padiah, Mishael, Machijah, Hashum, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So, End quote. So you have this on the Feast of Trumpets on Yom Teruah, this day where Ezra the prophet opens up the books of the law and the people want to hear it and they want to repent and they want to turn from their wicked ways and they want to hear what God has to say. They are spending that time the way that we hopefully are going to spend our time in the coming weeks, repenting, turning, evaluating, getting right with God, deciding that we want to be prepared for the day when God, for the day of the Lord, for the day of atonement, for the day of judgment, that we want to be um, in alignment with the Lord. And so you see this happen in um, with Ezra. Now let's talk about trumpets and shofars. These are two different things that in scripture they're commanded to make and they use on particular days. So in Numbers it says, make thee two trumpets of silver. Of a whole piece shalt thou make them, that thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. And so the calling of the assembly, they had these silver trumpets that they used to call them. When the assembly is to be gathered, you shall blow the trumpets in short, sharp tones, but without sounding an alarm. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow with the trumpets, and they shall be to you for an ordinance for it ever throughout your generations. And if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresses you, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpets and you shall be, be remembered before the Lord your God and you shall be saved from your enemies. Also in the day of your gladness and in your solemn days and in the beginnings of your months, you shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings that they may be to you for a memorial before your God. I am the Lord, your God. End quote. So I we just visited some of the national monuments and went out and visited Mount Vernon uh, with a family. And at Mount Vernon, the, there was a little musical group there that were kind of explaining to the people how important for the, the revolutionary armies, uh, how important the musicians were for them. And, uh, you know, on these days when they were having to tramp for miles and miles and miles, and after battles and hungry and cold or hot, to have the drum 
keep going, to have the the fife, the pipers playing. It kind of livened their spirits. It kept their energy up. It kept them going. And so throughout history, instruments have been used to call people to battle, to call people to assembly, to give instruction, depending on what's being played, to give different types of orders. And this is what is basically being described in numbers with the trumpets of silver. So they would have blown these to call for the Yom Teruah assembly um, alongside a ram's horn or a shofar. So let's discuss the shofar. The word shofar in Hebrew comes from the word leshtepper. Now I got this from a guy that I follow online, a Jewish man, and I think this is really interesting actually. Um, This leshtepper word is where shofar comes from. This is a word that means to get better or to improve. So the shofar is blown into the narrow part of the ram's horn, and then it expands right out the end in order to produce that sound. So the concept is that as you work, as you start on your journey, especially with the Lord, you will get better and better and your sound will get louder and louder. I love this understanding as we, I think, really get to start to see the meaning of the Feast of Trumpets come to life, that there is this warning call and it begins what is called the Days of Awe by both Jews and Christians. It starts that 10-day time frame from Yom Teruah, the blowing, till the Day of Atonement, which is the Day of Judgment. And these 10 days are supposed to be a time where we heed the call and warning of the trumpet blast. We prepare ourselves for judgment. We get better. We improve ourselves. We should be doing that all year long, right? But this is kind of that final warning, that final alarm that gets blown in the heavens when Yeshua returns. You have 10 days to improve, to get better, to understand where you've gone astray. And I love also that 10 days, there's 10 commandments. Those 10 commandments give us that foundation of the two great commands to love God and love others. And so we can evaluate our lives through those commands. We can improve ourselves through understanding what those commands really ask of us, how to love, right? By those 10, we are better able to analyze our sins and get right with the Lord. Let's go to Ezekiel 33. And I'm quoting here. This message came to me from the Lord, son of man, speak to your nation's children and tell them, if I bring war to a land and the people of that land appoint one of their conscripted men to serve as a sentinel, and if he notices that violence is approaching and sounds an alarm to warn the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the alarm does not heed the warning, when the sword arrives and destroys him, his shed blood will remain his own responsibility. After all, he heard the alarm sounding, but he did not heed the warning. So his shed blood will remain his own responsibility. If he had heeded the warning, he would have saved himself. If that sentinel notices that violence is approaching, but does not sound an alarm, then because the nation does not take warning and the sword arrives and destroys their lives because of their guilt, I'll seek retribution for their shed blood from the one who was acting as sentinel. Now, as for you, son of man, I've established you as a sentinel for the house of Israel. So whenever you hear a message from me, you are to warn the people from me. If I should say to a certain wicked person, you wicked man, you're certainly about to die, but you don't warn him to turn from his wicked behavior, he'll die in his guilt. But I'll seek retribution for his bloodshed from from you. However, if you warn the wicked to turn from his behavior and he does so, does not do so, he will die in his guilt and you will have saved yourself. Now, son of man, tell this to the house of Israel. You keep saying our crimes and sins burden us so much that we're rotting away. So how can we keep on living? Tell them, as certainly as I'm alive and living, declares the Lord God, I receive no pleasure in the death of the wicked. 
Instead, my pleasure is that the wicked repent from their behavior and live. Turn back. Turn back all of you from your wicked behavior. Why do you have to die, you house of Israel? And now, son of man, say this to your people. The righteousness of the righteous won't save them when they keep on committing crimes against me. The wickedness of the wicked won't keep them from remaining away when they're turning from their wickedness. And no righteous person will keep on living by their righteousness when they sin. If I tell the righteous person that he will certainly live, if he trusts in his own righteousness and commits evil, none of his righteousness will be remembered, and he will die because of the wrong that he commits. If I tell the wicked person that he will certainly die, if he turns from his sin and acts with justice and righteousness, returning what has been placed as collateral for a loan, paying back what he has taken, following the regulations that promote life, and committing no iniquity, he will certainly live and not die. None of the sins that he has committed will be remembered against him. Since he did what is just and right, he will certainly live. End quote. So I wanted to read this to you. First of all, uh, we have watchmen, right? Warning others, sounding an alarm. They're supposed to warn others about wickedness or things that are coming, right? It's our call to warn our brethren when we are out of alignment with God's ways, when they are out of alignment with God's ways. Okay, so this is the call of Yom Teruah, a warning. God is coming. Get right with him. Repent, just like John the Baptist did. Repent. Warn, right? Teach others how to obey. This is the great commission. Um, And if you don't, your brothers, and this is regarding your brothers and sisters in Yeshua, okay? The people who call themselves of the covenant. When they're out of alignment, they're in sin. It's our job to help them understand that and to at least say, hey, you should watch out. You should change because God has desired for you to follow him with all your heart if you love him. However, we're not called to go warn those outside of the camp of God about their sin. Because for those folks, our testimony needs to be one of joy, the joy of following Yeshua. It's not about hammering their sin. It's about you know, love the Lord because the Lord loves you. I mean, what profit are you going to get from telling people to live by God's laws who don't already love Yeshua first? There's no point in that, right? And we consistently do this as Christians, but there there isn't a profit in it. Without the heart, the rest of it doesn't matter. This is why I'm a little uncomfortable with aspects of Christian nationalism. I mean, sure, it'd be great if we had Christian tenets as the law of the land, but um, it would probably bless us. We've done that before, and it has been a blessing, but it's not going to profit us as much as we like to think without a, without people who already love the Lord and desire morality according to God's ways. Without that repentance of the people, first and foremost, there's absolutely no point in trying to tell them to be obedient and do what God wants them to. There really isn't. It's not going to go anywhere. Um, It's unsustainable in a land of wicked people. Paul says this very clearly in 1 Corinthians. He says, For what have I to do with judging those outside? Is it not those who are inside that you are to judge? God will judge those outside right? So your job is to go in to the church, go in among your brethren and try to instruct in righteousness and godliness and instructing yourself, right? Going to the word of God and instructing in righteousness. But for those who are not committed to the Lord, you need to be talking about how amazing it is to be in the house of God and the joy of that and the love that, that we've received, the renewal, what salvation really does. And um, it's just a different testimony, right? 
So when I'm speaking here and correcting or encouraging this, this podcast, this is really for the believer. This is for my brothers and sisters who claim to follow Yeshua. For those who don't, there's a totally different standard and a different judgment by God for those who are not in covenant with him. And of course there is, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because they're not going to receive the blessings God has for his people who are obedient and no, nor are they going to have access to the wedding feast in the end, the feast of tabernacles. So the blessings are for God's people, but also the correction guys. And we have to be okay about receiving both. We are going to be corrected by the Lord in our sin, but because of that, we receive the blessings of God. So, you know, great example. I don't go around trying to parent other people's children. I parent my own. Okay. God is parenting his own children, right? He's going to deal with you differently than he's going to deal with the outsider. The Bible describes this multiple times this way. Okay. So the trumpets are a warning and a call to assembly, a call to repentance and a reminder that the King is coming. That day, that judgment is called the day of atonement. This is a day in the future, the great white throne judgment, I believe is going to happen on this day, this final day where God judges um, souls. But we also have, you know, the Bema seat judgment that happens when Yeshua returns the first time. This is my opinion, by the way, okay? The timing of Yeshua's return and how that all works out with the seventh day and the thousand year reign, all of that, there's lots of different opinions. There's premillennial and postmillennial, and there's lots of different ways people think this works out. There's people who think we have a rapture where we go to heaven and, you know, others of us who think we are lifted up, but we're not going into another place. We are still on the earth. And I don't really want to be dogmatic about this, but this is my understanding right now of this, that, um, and let's, let's talk about this from Paul's perspective. So Paul discusses a trumpet, a sound, and a call that is the last trumpet where there's a resurrection of the dead. This, in my opinion, is upon Yeshua's return. Um, Paul says this, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds, another. And fish, another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And stars differ from stars in splendor. So will it be. With the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. 
in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. End quote. That's an interesting way to end that section. Um, that's I didn't realize I'd, I'd made that choice to end that section there, but I think it's interesting that he's talking about being raised to an imperishable body and an imperishable life. Well, that's obviously for the believer, right? The the person who's not going to experience the second death. And so I think we want to be resurrected. If we've died before Yeshua comes back, we want to be resurrected at his first return when he, when he returns for his people. Um, because this resurrection means that we are part of those who loved the Lord and who belong to him. And we're going to receive um, our eternal position then, right then and there, okay? Um, everyone else, everyone else that has died and is not a believer and everyone else that goes through the thousand-year reign of Christ um, is resurrected or is brought to the final judgment seat. And that is kind of the final position for souls. The final position for each human being is decided there. However, if you have already been resurrected with Christ at this first, you know, this first coming at this trumpet blast, then you are not going to um, have any second death worry at that day, that final day of judgment. This is my concept of this at this moment, all right? Um, it might change tomorrow, but when I read scripture, this is kind of what I'm seeing is there's two judgment days and there's a judgment that happens of the nations. When Christ first returns, there is a resurrection of the dead um, who meet him as well as his people that have made it through the end times on the earth. And, um, and he is going to have a bride that he reigns with for a thousand years on the earth. He's going to have a group of people that go into the wedding feast with him. And then remember, it's prophesied that in the end times, everyone will go to Jerusalem to celebrate the wedding feast of the Lord every year. And those that don't receive no rain on their land. That's in Zechariah. So we know that that celebrating these feast days is even prophesied to be happening in the very end and in the times when Yeshua is reigning on the earth. And so we should be memorializing and understanding them now so we can be ready for what Yeshua is going to do. And we want to be resurrected for that moment. And so this is why Paul encourages them. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Listen, give yourself fully to obedience to the Lord and to doing his will, his desires, because that is going to be taken into account, right? There's going to be days of judgment when these things are taken into account and they, they become incredibly meaningful. All right. There is so much more we could go into with Yom Teruah, so much more. And I have done 
uh, studies on this in the past for you. I believe I did one last year, um, and I've sent you to other resources and sources where you can learn. But I hope that this has given you that much more information. This year has encouraged you in your faith and your walk. And again, let me encourage you, please go and read Leviticus 23, read in numbers where these things are mentioned, understand what they mean, uh, what you're supposed to do with them, and um, maybe start preparing also for Sukkot, the great wedding feast of the Lord that is coming uh, after Yom Kippur. So we've got a couple weeks here of wonderful celebration and wonderful remembrance, wonderful memorialization. I will next week be going over Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Um, at least I'm going to try to prepare and do my best to get you even more information this year about those ones. But, um, you know, with Sukkot, you might want to consider joining a congregation that is doing some camping or outside during that week um, or building your own little outdoor area where you have people over. You have people for dinner and, and friends and you eat outside and you talk about the Lord. You talk about the Bible. You enjoy the fruits of your labor. You thank God for how he has cared for you and taking care of you. And you look forward to hopefully being the bride at the wedding feast in the future with Yeshua. Um, this is wonder, like this is wonderful stuff. This is the stuff, right? To be grateful for and excited about. So let's celebrate these with the fullness of our hearts this year. If you have any questions, concerns, needs, ideas, thoughts, or prayer requests, please, please feel free to send me an email, contact me. Many blessings. Till next time.